Romans chapter 3. This is what we're going we're gonna to talk about joy today. We're going to pick up the latter half of Romans chapter 3, and we're going to go into Romans chapter 4. Father, I thank you, and I thank you that, God, you have a plan and you have a purpose for your word today. God, you have a desire to take it and illuminate it into our hearts. And God, in the midst of things where we may not be seeing joy, we may not be focused on joy, yet you still want us to have it. And God, you want to give us something that's more than fleeting happiness, more than something that's a response to getting what we want or... Um, having something new occur in our lives, but you want us to find that deep abiding joy which comes through you and we're going to see in your word today. So God, I pray that you will center our minds and center our hearts and focus all of, of those onto your word and to what you want to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make your, the, the, the word very real in us today. God, I pray that you would uh, remove every distraction, everything that would separate our thoughts away from what you want to do in us today. And God, we're going to give you the glory and we're going to give you the praise because you alone are worthy. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in forgiving me because that's what your mercy did. So God, I give you all the praise and all the glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And the church together said... Amen. All right, Romans 3, 23. These guys are just going to keep up with me while I'm, while I'm going. Begin with verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a propitiation through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God for Jews only? Is he not also for Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteousness to apart from works. How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. Amen. What's the reality of our lives before believing 
in Christ. Quite simply, it's what we see in there in Romans 3.23, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, what does that really mean? Can we ever really in our physical life here attain a glory that is like God's glory? That, that's, that's not really what he's saying. We, we're not going to have the glory of God here on this life. We're in, a, we're in a corruptible body. We're in a sinful world. We're in a fallen world. All of those things. It's not that we're going to ever truly in ourselves reflect the true glory uh, of God. Until that, as the word says, this corruptible can put on incorruption, this mortal can put on immortality, then we're not really going to reflect the absolute glory of God in ourselves. We're not going to represent that. Now, it can come on us and, and we can then through the, 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 the righteousness that we inherit from Christ, which we're going to see in this passage, then we can begin to point people, kind of like point people toward God the same way that the moon doesn't actually generate light, but it reflects the light of the sun. I don't know if you, you, know, you guys should know that. That's... That's high school science. The moon doesn't generate light. It's a reflector. But it doesn't generate it in and of itself. And we're in that same fashion. In that we don't generate this, this light, but yet we begin to reflect the light of the Son of God. And In fact, then, when he talks about that you are the light of the world, it is because of what we are reflecting from him because it says that, that he is the light that came into the world. And he was rejected. We see that in John. He was rejected even by his own people. We're sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God before we come to know Christ. But the reality is, is God also created us to be, in the very beginning, we see that God created us to not have sin. But yet he gave us a choice. And mankind did what, what we would. We choose to do things that gratify ourselves, that... that uh, fulfill the things that we want to do. And so therefore sin came in uh, through Adam and then transferred, the Bible says, down from that point forward. But here's the reality. Most of the time we still know that we choose often, especially before we come to know Christ, we will choose to do something that just gratifies us as long as, particularly if nobody else will know about it. Right? That's why when you see a, when you see a child about to do something that's wrong, what, what do you see them do? They, they start looking around. They're checking to see, does anybody else see what's, what I'm about to do? Because if I think I can get away with it, if nobody's going to see, then I, I, I think I'm all right. So God, though, created us in the very beginning, if we were going to talk about Genesis, then what we would see is that God created this world. That you've heard me recently talk about that we we see his words say that when God had created all these things, that he stopped and he saw that everything that he created, and he said it's good. Mankind had been created. The world had been created. All that, and he stopped and he says this is good. Why? Because God doesn't make junk. It's an important thing that we need to be encouraging people with. There's a lot of people that feel like because that so many bad things happen, maybe from the time they can very early remember in their childhood, things have been bad. There's negative things about their family or what their mom or their dad did or they were mistreated as a child. And so they have been taught and led to believe that they're not worth anything. But God created us. God created every one of us. And God did not create junk. 
God did not create something that does not have value. God did not create something that did not have his fingerprints on it and him have the desire for every person then to reflect who he is. But in 323, we see that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then immediately in verse 24, it jumps into this different statement. I mean, that's a bomb. 23 is a bomb. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Once we grasped that before we knew Christ, that was the beginning of the end, right? That was the beginning of the end of the old person. Because once we accepted, yes, I have fallen, I have sinned, I have come short of God's glory, of what God wants to do in my life, it's at that moment then you've got a decision to make. Because you can't accept that reality and then not turn around and say, then what should my response be to knowing that? And once I know that, and then someone shares the rest of it, that God wants to turn around and justify you, then I've got to make a choice whether or not knowing that I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of the glory of God, but yet God wants to lift me up and change my life and allow me to become what He had planned for me to be, then I've got to make a choice. I've got to decide whether I want to accept that free gift or not. I continue to to reflect back to when Stephen and I were in Uganda, and that was how we ended every time that we presented the gospel. We were talking about how that it's not about being rich or poor. It's not about any of these things or where you are or what your job is or what you do. It's, it's a free gift that God extends. And we would always end by asking the question, of, would you like to receive this free gift? It's hard for us to say we wouldn't like to receive a gift, especially a gift that is life-changing, especially a gift that changes everything about who we are. But yet we see people in the world. I shared with you guys, I think on a Wednesday night, I had a, a young man tell me this past, last week, week two on the new job, and, and, and he made the statement to me. He says, I know that I need to get some things right with God, but I'm holding on to some stuff, and one day I'm going to get that right. And how could you turn down a free gift that will change your, not only your life, but it will change your death, and it will change then your life after death? But yet we do it. We're so hooked onto the things that we do on a daily basis. We're so hooked onto some things that we will choose those things, and the, 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 the hold that they have on us, we'll yield to that rather than to do what we know makes sense and is right. Verse 24 he goes on to say, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The ladies are studying a book by John Bunyan right now on Sunday nights. There's another book that he wrote. Uh, the, the short title is Grace Abounding. There's a much longer title about grace abounding to sinners, and it's about this long, and, and it's a really long title. But it was published in 1666, all right? But I want to read you a quote out of that book related to Romans 3.24 where he says they are justified freely by His grace. This is what John Bunyan says. As I was walking up and down in the house as a man in a most woeful state, that Word of God took hold of my heart. Ye are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
But oh, what a turn it made upon me. Now was I as one awakened out of some troublesome sleep and dream. And listening to this heavenly sentence, I was as if I had heard it thus expounded to me. Sinner, you think that because of your sins and infirmities that I cannot save your soul. But behold, my son is by me, and upon him I look, and not on thee. And will deal with thee according as I am pleased with him. Man, that is a powerful... Let me me see if I can condense that down. John Bunyan says, I was looking at my life, and prior to, I was thinking, I'm not good enough for God to do something powerful in my life. I'm not good enough for God to save me. And he says, but in reading this verse 324, that they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, it's as if God Himself explained that Scripture to me and said, you're looking at yourself and saying, I'm not good enough for you, God, to do this in my life. And I agree Because I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at my son Jesus Christ who stood in your place, who has come and he is seated at the right hand of me, the Father, and I look at him and I deal with you according to how I am pleased with him. And then I had to think back to the scripture. How is God pleased with Jesus? Because Jesus goes down and he's about to be baptized, right? Go through the whole process there where, where John the Baptist says, Oh, I'm not the one that needs to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. And he says, No, I, I've got to do this. And then when Jesus has been baptized, remember we see the Trinity exposed here because we've got Jesus the Son that is there being baptized. We hear the voice of the Father. We see the Holy Spirit descending in the form as a dove. And what does the voice of the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John Bunyan figured out that God was looking at his son who now is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it says, I deal with you based on how I am pleased with my son. And I've already explained how pleased I am with my son. I am well pleased with my son. And so God chooses to deal with us based on the the relationship and the pleasure that he has in his son, and he is well pleased with him. And so he looks at our lives when we surrender to the righteousness that is in Christ, and he says, I will deal with you as if I am well pleased with you. Jesus, then we see in verse 25, God presented him, being Jesus, as a propitiation through faith in his blood. All right. So we've heard that word, and most people in church have heard that word, and, and that we just read it, and we're kind of impressed that we can say it, right? And if you say it about four or five times fast, you probably stumble over it a couple of times. I was just thrilled that I read the Scripture the first time without stumbling on it. I was, I was happy, all right? Propitiation. Most people read right over it and go, I have no idea what it really means, but just thank God for it, you know? Amen. The, the word really has a lot to do with a covering, and it, and it even goes all the way back to when you had in the Old Testament, you had the Ark of the Covenant and the, the lid, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant was where that the priest would take and, and he would have the, the sacrifice, the blood of the sacrifice, and he would take and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. 
And that would be the process of covering for our sins when the the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat and therefore we received mercy because of the sacrifice. Jesus was presented by God as this covering and the blood of the sacrifice at the mercy seat then provided mercy for us. But the difference was that the Bible talks about that used to that had to happen on a regular basis. But he said, but now it's happened once, and that one time was enough from now on. So Jesus was presented where that no longer did the blood of the sacrifice have to be sprinkled on the mercy seat so that we could receive forgiveness, but it was accomplished once and for all for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But then there's another statement that gets made after this. He says, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness. In fact, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins that had been previously committed, and he presented him again to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, he says, so that he would be righteous. And I'm going to get you through because this is so good. Roman stuff is so rich. He says, God presented him, and Jesus became righteous, so that he could then turn around and proclaim that you can be righteous because you believe in him. This is that transfer of his righteousness. That's in verse 26. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the salvation process, guys. This is what it is. It is the fact that that no longer do we have to go through this sacrificial uh, atonement process that would happen in the Old Testament on a yearly basis. We would go and we got our sins and we take this perfect lamb without blemish, spot, wrinkle, all this stuff. And sacrifice gets made, blood sprinkled on the mercy seat by by someone else. It's done by a priest, can't be done by us. Because we're not in that process, so it's got to be done by somebody else. But then Jesus comes along and says, hey, all of that was an imperfect method. It was only there for you to be able to see the need that you had for someone to make this go away. And so Jesus comes along and he says, now I will be the priest. I will come along and I will be the sacrifice. I will go to the place where the the mercy seat is. I will pour out my blood. And once and for all, this will be done. And now, because I am righteous out of my death and my sacrifice, if you believe in what I have done, I will allow you to have my righteousness as well. We're going to come back to that here in just a moment. Verse 27, he says, so where then is boasting? Here's what he's about to go into. He's about to say, so why would we boast in anything that we've done? Why would we look and say, oh, I've been such a great person. Look at what I've done. Look at how, but the Bible talks about that. It says, says, though you could, you, could, uh, you could give your body even to be burned, give everything you have to the poor. It's all nothing if you don't have love. What is love? God, the Bible says God is love. Without him, we have nothing. He says, so what are you going to boast about? Are you going to, oh, I've been such a good person since I... He says, man, we couldn't do this. We couldn't accomplish this because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we don't boast in that. 
He says, it's excluded. What kind of law is it that's excluding that boasting? By one of works? He said, no, on the contrary, it's by the law of faith. For we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You can't earn your way there. We can't do enough works to be able to say, oh, God, I'm, I'm good enough now. I love the statement that salvation is not by works, but works come because of salvation. When we come to Christ and we recognize this is what God has done for us, then we desire then for our lives to be spent in service to Him. He doesn't say, I want you to come and serve me first, and then I'll decide whether or not I want to give you my righteousness. For we conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Is God for Jews only? Is He not also for Gentiles? I've told you guys before, it's going to happen to me at some point, though. At some point, I'm going to say this in a service, and somebody's going to be Jewish in the service. And, you know, because I normally am able to say, look, if we look around, there's none of us are Jewish. We're not Jewish. So all of us were excluded outside of when, if, if this was only for the Jews. But thank God that He chose to graft us in. All of us who weren't Jews, there's, that's why I've told you, there's, there's only, there are really only two groups of people. According to God's word, there's only two groups, and it was those who were Jewish and those who were Gentiles. Look around the room, we're all Gentiles. We're all together in this. If God had not chosen to graft us into the vine through Christ Jesus, we would have been out of luck, guys. But that's not the place that he left us. He says, yes, he is for Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then cancel the law through faith? Now, this is a powerful statement that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this today because this is a message all in and of itself. Do we cancel the law through faith? No. Now, a lot of people have a little trouble with this idea about the law. I've made this statement, and I'm, I'm going to be cautious in, in how much of this statement I make today. Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law, but that through him the law might be fulfilled. Now, I often hear, and we often say in the New Testament church, we say we are not under law, but we are under grace. I mean, how many of y'all have heard people say that? It's okay. It's okay to say yes. Yeah. It's not a trick question, I promise. You've heard me say it. That's a true statement. We're not under the law. Those who are believers are not under the law, but are under grace. Why? Because the law was there. But Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And when he fulfilled the law and extended his grace to us, then when we believe on him, the law has been fulfilled. Because he didn't come to destroy it, but he came to fulfill it. So the law has been fulfilled. So we are not under the law because our belief in Christ has removed us out from being under the penalty of the law to being under the, the, the provision of grace. But here's a reality. If you don't accept the penalty that's been paid for the law, then the penalty of the law exists for you. Because he didn't destroy the law, he fulfilled the law. So when he turns around and says, here in, in verse 31, do we then cancel the law through faith? Has the law been taken off the books? He said, no, we don't cancel the law because we have faith. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What he's saying is... <laughs> 
When Jesus came and fulfilled the law, and we recognize that we have to accept Him in order for the provisions and the penalty of the law to be paid for, which was, the Bible says that, that the penalty and the wages of sin is death. Right? Wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we accept Jesus and we say, I've now been given grace, what we are doing is we are upholding the law. We are saying the law had authority. The law had a penalty. And because I have accepted Jesus Christ, I am admitting and recognizing the authority that the law had in order to punish me. But praise be to God, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, His death, His, his burial, His resurrection, I no longer owe that debt. And so I don't have to submit to the law. I want to share a scripture with you. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In other words, I don't boast because it's not my works that have brought about my righteousness. My works have not brought that about. Rather, it is my faith in Christ that has brought that about. But what about this idea of this debt? This debt that I owed and how does it get erased and what happens from there? Beginning in chapter 4, there back in Romans, he says, what then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? What did Abraham find out? If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to brag about. That's what he says. But not before God. He says, Abraham can't brag before God. And he says, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited, that's a key word, it was credited to him for righteousness. Then he goes on to explain, now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. All right, let's talk for a moment about credit and pay. All right? If you go work your job 40 hours this week and you're supposed to get paid at the end of the week, what do you expect to have happen at the end of the week? Yeah, this is not a trick question. You expect to get paid, right? And you get to expect, you expect to get paid for how many hours? 40 hours. You work 40 hours, you expect to get paid 40 hours. It's the way this works. This is, this is easy math. All right, what if you worked 40 hours... You got to the end of the week, and the person you're working for says, you did such a great job this week. We're going to pay you for 40 hours, but we want to give you a bonus of another 20 hours worth of pay. Praise the Lord. Yes, Jesus. You're going to be like the, the prophet. Can I get a double portion? So the 40 hours, would that be... Something that was owed to you? Yes. yes. What about the 20 hours? 
That was not owed to you. That was a gift. He says here, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. The gift of God through Jesus Christ, the salvation that we're giving, the righteousness that is given to us is not owed to us because we cannot earn it. Because if it was, then it would just be pay. That's why the Bible says that the wages of sin, the paycheck of sin is death. Why? Because we do the sin. We go out and we live our life the way we want to live. We do the things. We make the choices. We say the stuff we want to. We earned that death. When the end of our life comes, we should, we should receive our pay. Now, there's some stuff that we do and there's sins that they, they pay us in this life. Hey, go do 100 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour speed zone with a state trooper sitting on the side of the road. I promise you. You will receive what you earned. Right? And, and, and if that guy for some reason extends you some grace, it ain't cause you good looking enough. It's not cause you was not. It was a gift. <laughs> some stuff in life, we get paid for it now. Eat too much, you'll pay for it now. Eat that ghost pepper? Oh, yeah, you're going to pay for it now, tonight, tomorrow morning, nonstop. Unbelievable. Better eat some ice cream after you eat that pepper. Just telling you. But some things in life, we would not receive payment for them until we pass from this. Like the wages of sin is death. It's, but he counteracts it and says, but the gift of God. Our faith in God does not result in us being paid with righteousness. The reason is because of what he's already told us, that, that we didn't do the work. Therefore, there's no pay that's owed. Instead, like Abraham, we get an offer of credit. How many of you get some of these junk mail things, you know, show up in your mailbox ever so often saying, Oh, you've been pre-approved, asterisk out there beside it. You know, you better read the print somewhere. But you've been pre-approved for this offer of credit. Every time that I ever, you know, if, if, if we like buy a car or, you know, anything like that, you ever notice it starts showing up, right? Because somehow everybody picks up on that stuff and you start getting the lending tree and finger hut and, I mean, places I didn't even know. I was like, man, I didn't know finger hut still existed to hear about six months ago. About the time that we, you know, got to use the used vehicles, finger hut started showing up. And now there's some new egg loan company. It's showing up and 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 then I mean it's just stuff and man, my, my paper shredder at the house, it's getting a workout, man. It's like got biceps that you wouldn't believe. Cause I'm just feeding that thing. Feed me, Seymour. I'm just I'm just feeding it. Stuff just showing up. You have been found to be credit worthy. I'm going, y'all don't know nothing about me. You haven't run my social security number yet. You haven't run it, but I'm extending you this off. See, that's a, that's a fake offer of credit. Because somewhere down there in the fine print, it's if you meet all the conditions. Here's the thing. Jesus extends an offer of credit. 
Just like here in Abraham, he says, Abraham believed God and he got credit of righteousness. Our faith in Jesus Christ is an acceptance of an offer of credit. It opens the door for God to give us that credit because it is backed by the security of payment that was made by Jesus. See, I mean, that, that credit card you got, did you know, anybody got any money in your wallet? Why does everybody act so, they're like, what's he going to do? I'm not taking up an offering or nothing. Y'all know we don't take up offerings. Look, Wendy's the only one. She's like, I'll pull something out. I mean, how the hell you got a dollar bill or something in your wallet? Come on now. Are you the only? Oh, put that thing up. <laughs> ben, bring me a dollar bill. Come on. Man, one of the youngins is the only one carrying cash. Everybody else, like, I carry it, I'll, I'll spend it. I promise I'll get this back to you. Look, I got, I got dollar bills everywhere. Thank you. All right, five more, and I'll be able to afford lunch. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So how much do you think that this is worth? You think this is worth $2? You, you believe this is worth $2? By what standard? What makes you believe this is worth $2? We're, this is, this is going to be economics 101 right here today. Why, why do you think this is worth $2? Because you go, you go to the store and you give it to them, they give you something that they say is worth a dollar, right? You know, is that what? This is not worth anything. This is, this is just some, some cool little paper stuff that they make up. It's not worth anything. Our monetary system, you're going to find there's something spiritual out of this, I'm telling you. Our monetary system is, this is representative. It's not worth a dollar. It's because there's, there's gold in Fort Knox and somewhere else that... That, that we then turn around, because the, the government can just print more dollar bills. And that's why you see around the world that the, the, the value of the dollar goes up, the value of the dollar goes down, because we're comparing it against other currencies and all this kind of stuff. Because this says that somewhere there is something of true value that we've determined is of true value, which is stuff like gold that's in Fort Knox. And we do, then do these, these dollar bills and $100 bills and all that to say that it's backed by that security. It's kind of like you're writing a check. You write a $1,000 check, I promise you that paper that you just wrote that on is not worth $1,000. It's saying that I'm extending this to you, and if you take it to somewhere that accepts that you got some money in an account somewhere that backs this up, then yeah, we'll take that and we'll give you we'll give you a thousand dollars for that, right? You're working at the bank. That check is not is not what you didn't pay a thousand dollars for each check that's in your checkbook. I gotta give these dollars back here. I'm gonna I'm gonna put them right here. Y'all come get them when it's over. What's the spiritual meaning of that? If you looked at us and you said, "Oh, I'm bearing the name. I'm saying I'm a Christian." Well, that doesn't mean much if Christ doesn't exist. That doesn't mean much if Christ has not made the payment for our sins. That doesn't mean much if there's not a, 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 a payment that has been applied somewhere that we now can draw on by our faith 
in Jesus Christ. That's why he said that Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He hadn't earned it. It wasn't owed to him. He didn't have that in the bank. But yet God turned around and extended credit to him because of Jesus. That was better. Y'all didn't respond at all and that was good. You ain't excited about being saved. You need to get excited this morning. If you're saved, man, you ought to be about this point right now. You ought to be about ready to come out your chair. But like, man, that's good, pastor. Y'all talking, hmm, hmm. How much do I have in my checking account? <laughs> Our faith in Jesus opens the door for God to extend us credit on Jesus' behalf. Backed by the security of the payment made by Jesus. That's why he says that it's not any payment that's due to us. That's why there's no works that we could do to brag about. Instead, we have faith in Jesus Christ and therefore everything that we're doing. It's kind of like, you know, I have a, I have a card in my wallet that's from, from the company that I work for. Man, if I separate or I don't have a relationship with that company... They're going to cut that card off, right? And then I can go up, and I can try to pay. I can show up, you know, at the bank where Kim is and go, want to go through the ATM, you know, and put that thing through and trying to key in my little code, trying to get some money and all that, keep coming back. You know what's eventually? Eventually they're going, they're going to call somebody. Somebody's going to be waiting on me. Nathan's going to go to jail. Nathan is going to the big house because I don't... I don't have the authority to be used. It's not. But Jesus has extended to us. And he said, I've made the payment. I've got it in my account with the Father that I paid the price. And so I'm going to apply my name to you. I'm going to apply my righteousness to you. I'm going to wash away your sins because of my righteousness. That's why God is going to look and say, I don't deal with you according to what you got in your spiritual account. I'm going to deal with you according to what my son has because he has extended and it is credited to you to access what is my son's. That's why you're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, because if you're joint heirs, you got equal shares. That rhyme, I didn't mean to do that. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. Romans 4, 7, and 8 then says this. Or actually, if I pick up verse 6. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteousness to apart from works. Listen to that. Speaks of the blessing of the man that God credits righteousness to. You don't have it. You didn't have it. I mean, credit's money you don't have, right? And a lot of times, credit's money you don't need to spend. Well, that's a different message. <laughs> but credit is not something you have. Credit is, is something that is extended to you, and you get to draw upon it even though you didn't have it. And he says, likewise, David speaks of the blessing of the man that God credits righteousness to apart from works. Why? Because our works could not have been good enough. We don't have the capacity to have lived a sinless life that was perfect before God. 
Look, our, our works would not have gotten us there. So he said, but David speaks of the blessing of the man that God credits righteousness to apart from works. I don't know why this week that, that clicked so much with me. David speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteousness to apart from works. And those last two scriptures, this is what David said. How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. I started thinking about that. Because I realized I was lawless. I mean, can, can, can we just get a witness in here today? How many of you can say, look, I, I know I was lawless. Right? Ain't no sense in pretending like you didn't do some bad stuff. And I'm going to tell you what. I think sometimes maybe we just go through our weeks and we just go through our days and we go through our church services and we don't understand verse 7 and 8. We should be joyful. In fact, he says, how joyful are those who recognize that their lawless acts are forgiven and their sins are covered. Man, if you've accepted Christ, that is you this morning. How joyful you should be. Looking back and realizing that I once was lost, but now I'm found. We sang that while ago out of Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. But how joyful I am that those things have been forgiven. I am not who I used to be. I am not what I did before. I am not any of those actions, and He does not see me that way anymore. How joyful is the man that the Lord will never charge with sin. My goodness, when I get to the end of my life, I no longer have to look and say, I'm about to get paid. Because I'm not going to have my sins charged to my account. I'm not going to end up owing in this situation. But instead... There's going to be a stamp that gets put on my life as I pass out of this life and pass into the next. It says, paid in full. Paid in full. Sign Jesus. So I'm telling y'all, y'all ain't excited this morning. I, I, my goodness. How joyful is the man who realizes that his lawful deeds and his sins are forgiven? How joyful is the man who realizes that he will not be charged with his sin, but it has been paid. That's what I'm asking you to think about today. Man, did you come in here all just kind of, hey, ho-hum, it's another service, it's whatever else. Man, did you wake up this morning? Woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on Jesus. Woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on the Lord. What'd you wake up with your mind on this morning? Did you wake up with your mind full of joy? Going, man, this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why am I going to rejoice and be glad in it? Because my lawless deeds have been forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. I'm going to get to the end of my life and my sins are not going to be charged to me. Because Jesus has been credited his righteousness to me. I don't have to operate on my own account. I don't have to operate on my own works. I get to step back and say, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a, a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. 
and raise this life up from the dead. Because Jesus paid it all. I'm asking you, what kind of joy do you have today? Because if you've come to know Jesus, how joyful should you be? Let's pray.